Welcome to CTRM Radio, home of the official podcast of Commodity Technology Advisory and your source for information on all matters related to CTRM. Hello and welcome to CTRM Radio, a podcast from Commodity Technology Advisory. I'm Patrick Reams and today we'll be examining the use of AI and more specifically deep learning in the energy markets. Though artificial intelligence has been receiving a lot of press over the last couple of years, and numerous large energy companies have invested multiple millions of dollars in exploring its potential, at this point in time, finding actual use cases in energy and energy trading have been rare and few and far between. However, in recent discussions with Inveris, formerly known as Drilling Info, we did discover that that firm has been working on developing practical applications for AI, and again, more specifically, deep learning, and is now using those techniques to produce load forecasts for the U.S. energy markets. So we wanted to spend a bit of time with a couple of their experts, Don Davidson, Senior Director of Development and Architecture, and Rob Alderman, Senior Director of Power Analytics, in order to get a better understanding of how they are using deep learning to model load forecasts and how those models have reacted to recent market developments, including the ongoing influx of renewables and, most recently, the impact of COVID and the role the pandemic has played in demand destruction. First, I spoke with Don Davidson to get a bit of background on Enverse's use of deep learning and to learn more about how it's being applied to solve real-world problems. So, Don, what is deep learning? Uh, we, we've heard a lot about that through Inveris. How, how does deep learning differ from machine learning? Thanks, Patrick. Let me first talk about PRT and uh, where it started and how it became a part of Inveris. So, PRT was uh, a company pattern recognition technology founded by Dr. Al Katanzid and some of his electrical engineering students from Southern Methodist University. Uh, founded in 1994, it started with a single forecast for the PJM ISO for load, and the, his small company grew and grew and grew. Uh, today, we have over 1,900 forecast, distinct forecast models with 2 million data points forecasted daily, not even including our midterm and long-term forecast. PRT was acquired by Drilling Info in late 2017. Uh, as part of Drilling Info's effort to become more than just a oil and gas uh, technology company. So uh, they wanted to become more of a, a full energy technology company. And the purchase of PRT, which focuses on power forecasting, and we'll talk about those various types of forecasts we do in just a minute, and then we'll launch it at the deep learning. Then later, uh, Drilling Info was rebranded as Inveris to better portray the idea that we're more than just oil and gas. Uh, so part of that name is the EN for energy. The VER is to uh, see, to view, and that talks about our insights, our learning, uh, our ability to predict and give insight into things. So that fits nicely with PRT uh, and the deep learning. So quickly, uh, our types of forecasts we do are in the power area, load or demand, we have two renewable generation models, solar and wind, and then we do price forecasting. We also do forecasting uh, in the uh, gas area for both demand and price, and we've done a bit of work, although not with our traditional models, more of simulations with hydropower forecasting. So let's talk about deep learning a bit and how it's uh, differs from machine learning. So deep learning is generally classified as a subset of machine learning. It refers to multi-layer neural networks, and these are bigger and more complex than the 
traditional ones. And the traditional is what PRT was founded on. These networks can model more complex relationships than the uh, simpler ones can, uh, but they generally require larger amounts of data to learn. So let me give a few examples of where we're using the models to kind of carry home these points. So we're using these models to feed in individual weather stations over larger forecast areas, allowing us to better capture potentially conflicting heating and cooling temperatures in different zones of the forecast area. I'll talk more about uh, the SP SPP ISO uh, and our accuracy with it. It was one of the ones we tackled with deep learning. So let me give an example of those conflicting heating and cooling areas. SPP has a very uh, large region and it spans from north to south over thousand miles or more. And you get into these shoulder seasons uh, of spring and fall and you can have temperatures in the north that are very cold and power consuming and very warm in the south and also power consuming, but our own methodology could not account for a lot of layers of data inputs. And so we had to do some work on the temperature inputs before inputting into the simpler neural network models. And that resulted in uh, some type of weighted average and optimization, but those two power consuming of really warm, really cool tended to uh, neutralize each other out a bit in our weighted averaging. With the deep learning, we let the model figure this out and we input all these temperatures because of the ability to do larger data sets and to understand more complex relationships. So we let the deep learning better optimize how the weather affects the load, the demand needed. We also theorize that due to the fact that these relationships can be fairly complex, that we can look at the demand and the makeup of the specific areas, which might be industrial, residential, commercial, and the effects that those weather stations have on those areas. And we've seen better results using these deep learning models. Uh, again, I'll touch on that on a later point, I believe. We're using these models also to uh, feed in additional weather data. So these complex models allow us to understand more complex relationships between things like temperature, uh, GHI, which is a measure of irradiation uh, for our solar forecast, humidity. And it's helping us with some challenges we see in our renewable forecasts a bit, uh, which we're starting to touch, but also in things like areas of the country that may be very humid. So that affects the need for cooling, along with the GHI that we look at, uh, needs to be measured for areas that have a strong presence of rooftop solar, or we term it as behind the meter solar, because we need to account for that because when it's sunny, the load profile acts one way. When it goes cloudy and the rooftop's not producing the same amounts of power, then the demand climbs higher. So deep learning, because of its ability to handle larger and more complex sets of data and understand the relationships between those data inputs and the outputs we want to receive uh, has been a big assistance to us. It seems intuitive to believe that uh, deep learning would clearly provide a much more granular, uh, being based on a more granular data set would provide you with, with much greater accuracy. Have, have you guys developed any uh, quantifiable metrics or results relating to the, the value or the advantage of deep learning? We have, Patrick, and let me talk about a couple of examples. So the first two forecasts we tackled with deep learning were the ERCOT market with its total load forecast and the SPP market, which I referenced earlier. 
So in ERCOT, we put in in very early December of 2019 in the six plus months, but seven months of uh, unique months in that since putting this into production. We have an, about an 11% improvement year over year. So if I look at those seven months time, December through June to date, and compare it to the previous years of that time, we're about 11% better. So we went from a 263 overall MAPE, uh, mean absolute percentage error, to a 234 over the same time. If we look at it month by month for the overall MAPE, the deep learning forecast has been better overall in four of the seven months, which is like, well, that's not that much better maybe. But two of the months that our old forecast was better were overlaying with the COVID-19 demand destruction period, which has challenged accuracy across the board for the entire industry. So looking at that, it's uh, we're very pleased with the results we've seen. I will note we're even trying to tweak our deep learning models, especially around the ERCOT forecast, to try to get even greater accuracy. Uh, SPP, so let's talk about this. And this was the example that I gave of these shoulder seasons and these uh, challenges with dealing with the temperature swings across all the varied stations. So in the six months, so early January for the SPP forecast, in the six months since putting this into production, we have a just under 25% overall MAPE improvement. We went from a 242 for a year ago for the same time frame to a 1.82%. MAPE, uh, and this this model uh, for deep learning has actually been better in all six of the months, even including the period of demand destruction for COVID-19. So very, very pleased with what it's done for us there. How difficult or, or easy is it for market participants to, to take advantage of, of deep learning tools and applications for their, their businesses? The, the tool set and the frameworks itself has made parts of this easier than ever to build these models. Uh, so we'll touch on each of these points in a bit, but however, one still is going to need the domain knowledge, have the data quality and quantity required, and understand the fundamentals of machine learning. Probably more so than when using simpler models due to the time and effort required to train and evaluate those models. So let's talk about each of those points. So it's easier than ever to build these models. That's chiefly because there's a substantial amount of open source tools, a lot of community support, and uh, easy to find help and documents saying how to do this type of thing. Where in the previous days, you early days of PRT, the neural networks were hand coded and it took a lot of not business domain knowledge, but which was required, but also a certain technical knowledge. That's been reduced a bit. There's also, uh, the need that you still have to have that business domain knowledge. So for us, it's uh, intricate knowledge of the power industry, what things may affect a load profile, a price, uh, the renewable markets. So all the tools in the world don't alleviate the need to provide the model with relevant data. So you have to have some idea that there might be a relationship. So while these models have an incredible capability of finding even sparse underlying relationships between data, if there isn't any relationship, the data is going to produce noise, false signals. So you just can't throw anything into it and expect to get quality out. So also having the data, quality and quantity required. The, the age-old principle of garbage in, garbage out still very much holds true for these models. So if you don't get uh, quality in, 
then you're going to have a problem. And it also requires typically a lot more data to get really good results. So we need more history typically with these models. Fortunately, with the ones we've tackled so far, we had lengthy history to feed in. So we have that quality of data. And then finally, you need to understand the fundamentals of machine learning, probably more so than when we used our simpler models. And that's really true because there's a lot of time and effort required to train and evaluate these models. It typically takes longer because you're feeding in more data. It's looking for more potential uh, areas of relationships between the data. So it takes longer to train and it requires more computational resources, which is money, along with time being money. So consequently, these development cycles will take longer and it's easier to waste time and resources because in this world, not everything you try will work. It is very much idea, ideation, trial with forecasting, and then error analysis, and then repeat and rinse till you, you find the model that best suits you. Having made that, that investment uh, within PRT and, and Inveris, what's the future hold for Inveris and, and deep learning? How are you going to be using it across the, the business in the future? Yeah, and I won't be able to talk completely. I think it will be used across and various at all levels, but we, because of the need for domain knowledge, we to date haven't really worked across our different data science machine learning groups other than just occasional meetups to talk about what we're doing. But where we'll touch on it in PRT, and I think some of these things will hold true in the oil and gas and other areas of the company, is... Uh, I think we'll be able to do more data and different types of data. So we see in our group that uh, we'll have a point in the future where we're not just feeding in the concrete numbers of weather data, but for instance, we might be able to use maps or satellite images directly into our models. We know we'll be using different forecasts, so fairly immediately we'll be tackling our renewable generation forecasts with the power of deep learning to see where we can take advantage of it. And let me stress, well, let me finish and I'll stress one thing at the end of this. Uh, and then finally, different types of models. So deep learning is just one subfield of machine learning. Uh, there's some other things we're doing also, such as boosting frameworks and tree-based models. So it's not the answer for everything, but it is a very powerful tool. And we found in our time with it that it is not a silver bullet. It does not solve everything, but it's just another very powerful tool in our arsenal to meet our forecasting needs and those of our customers. Next, I spoke with Rob Alderman to explore in more detail the markets in which deep learning has been applied and the insights that they and their customers have gained through its use, particularly as those markets continue to evolve. So, Rob, we, we've heard a lot about deep learning and the application of, of deep learning from, from Don and, and his team. Can you give us uh, kind of some of the insights that you guys have been able to garner through the use of deep learning? Uh, uh, you know, what markets are, are you using deep learning techniques on or with, I should say? What are some of the things that you've learned from that? We've, we've seen significant changes in the, in the North American power markets, for example, over the last several years with renewables and then with the impact of COVID. I'm, I'm sure that's had some impact too. So any insights uh, you can offer? Yeah, it's it's been pretty exciting. We've seen some, uh, probably the biggest thing is the improvements in our load forecasts. We've seen um, some MAPE improvements, um, Don's gave you some of the details, but our improvements uh, have gone from four or five percent MAPES to down to two percent MAPES, and it's it's been great. 
ERCOT and SPP were the two markets that we've implemented already. Uh, we're going to be rolling it out in the other markets. And we're excited because deep learning will allow us to be able to put more than just one or two uh, conditions into our, our into our load forecast. We'll be able to put multiple conditions into it, such as behind the meter solar. And so we're, we're looking forward to doing that in, in uh, Southern California, um, Northern California. We do have some of that now, but we'll be able to add more stations. We'll be able to add that into our, our markets in, in New York, the Northeast, where there's lots of behind the meter solar. Um, our price forecast, we'll be able to add more uh, more components to that, some more supply demand type of components into our pricing forecast. So we're real excited about bringing that online to uh, more of our uh, load forecasts, price forecasts. Uh, it's it's pretty exciting. The other thing that's been real interesting is just our um, artificial intelligence and machine learning. As we've moved into this new uh, load regime with, with COVID, as Probably many people would assume or, or know there's uh, less load or elect less electricity demand because of businesses closing, uh, people just not going to work, things like that. And we really started seeing that in March, and it was an interesting dilemma when this first occurred. We weren't really sure how to handle this or how to think about it originally because we knew there would be demand destruction, which it's it's called in the industry. We weren't sure if we should uh, create tell our models that this was a weekend load or holiday load or a snow day load, but we we really came to the conclusion quickly that we should let our models handle it themselves. And that's what's great about our models is because not only do they take uh, weather forecasts to create these these load forecasts, but they also do something by learning about how how the load is is reacting. And so they'll take the load forecast and then they'll look back and see how well they did and they'll adjust to that. And so what we we determined pretty early on is that the models would learn about COVID and they would learn about it a lot better than what we would try to predict what those loads would look like. And what we saw pretty early on is that the morning peaks were very, very different than anything that we had ever seen. And that the morning peaks were much, much lower than anything we had ever had ever measured. And that makes some sense because if you think about the way people were were reacting or, or the, what they were doing is they weren't getting up real early in the morning going to work and going into that warm office. That office just wasn't, those offices were closed. Um, so they weren't having to warm up. And so you weren't having that really strong morning peak like we normally have. They may have been getting up later and you know rolling over and getting some coffee and then turning on that computer. And so those peaks were later in the morning, they weren't as strong. And so if you're a utility, you, didn't have to turn on your your gas units or your uh, your you know your your peaker units to take care of that demand. You, you didn't have to uh, do things like you used to have to do, and that had a big impact on the market. It also caused prices to likely not be as strong as they were normally, especially on those really cold mornings. Uh, we also saw evening peaks not as strong. We saw demand destruction. Um, early on in California and uh, New York in the, the mid-Atlantic 
we saw demand destruction as much as 20% in the morning um, in a lot of these areas. Interestingly enough, in uh, Texas, we didn't see demand destruction early on at all. Uh, it, it was really late to happen, and it really didn't happen till mid-April. But um, something that we're seeing now is we're starting to see uh, demand destruction recover somewhat, especially in Texas, where we peaked, demand destruction peaked maybe about 7 to 10%, but now it's it's really only about 1% to 2% during the evening peaks and, and about 5% uh, in the morning times. In California, we've seen demand destruction recover from 10 to 15% at the top, or the, at the, the worst of demand destruction, to, to around um, 7% now. And in the evening peaks, only about 5%. In the east, we've seen demand destruction recover, but it's it's been slower to recover. And our expectations this summer is demand destruction will still be fairly strong in the east to 5 to 7%, but, but we're not expecting too much demand destruction in the evening peaks in Texas this year. But it's it's been a very interesting thing. And, and again, it really does show that um, our artificial intelligence, machine learning technologies that PRT uses uh, really played a, a, a really a nice role. And it's been a really a, an advantage for our customers because they were able to see right away what this demand destruction was going to do to load. And, and you were able to backtest that and, and confirm that uh, the, the models were accurately predicting in the near term what was what was happening in the marketplace? I, I think you made we, that. We were. Um, and we, we send out reports twice a day that shows how our models have been doing. And then I've been sending out reports at least, one, at least every other week. I mean, I've been doing webinars occasionally uh, discussing our accuracy as compared to the ISO, and, and we've done real well compared to uh, to the ISO and the public forecasts. Well, we will be implementing the the deep learning into all of the markets. So that'll be uh, into the KISO markets, into PJM, into MISO, into to NISO and NEPOL. So uh, we're, we're looking forward to that. And and again, we'll be We'll be implementing that in all of our forecasts, the price forecasts. And, and then another thing that we launched um, last week is we have a 90-day price forecast. We did that in cooperation with IAR for our plant outages and then DTN for some of our, our weather forecasts. And, and that's mm-hmm. been pretty exciting. And uh, that's expanded us from doing a price forecast that goes out seven days to, to now 90 days. I want to thank our guests today for providing some insights into how AI, and more specifically deep learning, is now being applied in today's energy and energy trading markets. But it's likely that many of the other AI initiatives that have been ongoing in the energy and technology companies over the last couple of years have been set back a bit by the global pandemic. Enverse's success in leveraging those technologies in a practical and real-world way does speak volumes about how AI, machine learning, and deep learning can have a significant and valuable impact on these markets now and in the near future. So with that, we'll sign off on this episode of CTRM Radio. Be sure to join us again as we continue to examine the issues and developments that impact the CTRM marketplace. I'm Patrick Reams, and thanks for listening.
You've been listening to CTRM Radio, a podcast by leading industry analysts, Commodity Technology Advisory. You can find more information about us at ComTechAdvisory.com and much more news, views, research, and information on CTRM at the CTRM Center at CTRMCenter.com. Thank you for joining our presenters, managing partners Patrick Reams and Gary M. Vasey and their guests today, and we hope to see you on a future edition of CTRM Radio.